Church on Purpose, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. Here we are, two years into this pandemic. How many of you thought we'd be over it by now? <laughs> yes. Well, the joke is on us. <laughs> We're still here. And it's frustrating. And I know that so many of us, we want to go back to what it was like. We want to go back to normal. But the truth is that we have all been changed. Society has been changed. And for better or for worse, we are now different. But as devastating and as frightening as COVID has been, it has also provided us an opportunity to evaluate our lives and to evaluate society. This is why we're doing this, service, this sermon series called On Purpose, right? We are discovering, rediscovering, rethinking about um, what is our purpose in a number of areas, our jobs, our lives, our money, and this week on the church. What is the purpose of the church? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Because the truth is that some people were asking this question even before the pandemic. Church attendance had gone down nationally. This wasn't, just a, this wasn't a metro thing. It was nationally. The church attendance had been going down. People are moving further and further away from organized religion. And so we have to ask ourselves, is the church relevant? Is it still necessary? Or is it a, a relic of a bygone time? No longer needed in the 21st century. What is the purpose of the church now, some people ask the question because they saw a declining attendance. Others ask because when they look around, it seems like the church is always behind society. We're always behind what everyone else is doing, trying to catch up. Still, under, others wonder because they look around at COVID and hybrid church, and, and you're able to, to do worship and Bible study from anywhere you are and experience it from any place in the world, right from your phone. So what is the purpose of the church? Some people ask, what has the church done for me? Or what is the church doing? And especially now, people are asking the question, do I actually have to be in church to be a good Christian? What is the purpose of the church? Is it to entertain you? Is it your social club? Is it where you go to hopefully meet your spouse? Where is it where you drop off your kids for a few hours? Is it a habit that you've just had from childhood? Or is it where you go for your healing? A hospital for your soul? Is it where you cast your burdens before the Lord? Is it where we worship, where you serve? What is the purpose of the church? That's what we're going to be talking about today because the church is established by Jesus. If you read Matthew 16, you'll see that Jesus asked the disciples, who do they think he is? And Peter responds, you are Jesus, Lord and Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you are right, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The rock is Peter's confession of who Jesus is. And like a rock, our confession of faith is a sure, firm foundation. On this rock, on this confession, Jesus builds his church. But the interesting thing is Jesus is not talking about an actual building. He's not talking about a temple or some multi-million dollar sanctuary. Jesus is talking about building a people. From the very beginning, Jesus is talking about building a community. Here's the point. The church is not a place. The church is a people. The church is not an institution. The church is you. 
It's not where you go, but who you are. Now, so for those of you who attend Metro regularly, right, or you're a partner at Metro, you have chosen to live out your confession with other believers under the banner of Metro Community Church. But the church doesn't exist because Pastor Peter founded it 17 years ago. And the church doesn't exist because there's a pope in Rome. The church exists because Jesus established it. And whether we ever get a building or not, the church will still exist because the church is you and the church is me. And as long as there are confessing believers on this earth, there will be a church. And as Jesus said, not even the gates of hell can overcome it. Not even COVID can kill the church. So I know it's trying to. <laughs> so what is the purpose of the church? As Pastor Doug spoke about last week, our purpose is always to build the kingdom of God here on earth. It is always to build God's kingdom. So when people ask you, is the church relevant today? The answer is absolutely. It is always relevant. As long as sin exists in the world, there needs to be a people of God who are willing to build the kingdom of God on earth. Until Jesus comes, there is a reason for the church to exist because we are building God's kingdom here on earth. We don't have to wait until heaven. God invites us to build his kingdom right now. And what a privilege and an honor it is to have this assignment. But what does it mean? If I had to summarize it, I would say it means three things. To build the kingdom of God, the purpose of the church to build the kingdom of God is to love God, love people, and make disciples. Love God, love people, and make disciples. Now that sounds great, but how do we do it? How do we live this out? How do we live out the purpose of the church? The best way to see how we live out the purpose of the church is by getting a picture of the first church. This was probably the most pure form of church, not yet complicated by persecution, infighting, jealousy, or pandemics. So let's read about it together. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We are looking at verses 22 through 24 and 36 through 47. 22 through 24 and 36 through 47. And the word of God reads as follows. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the, heart, to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many others, 
with, excuse me, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The day of Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit came down and descended upon the people. That happened earlier in Acts chapter 2. People had been given the ability to speak in other languages. And when observers um, saw this, they questioned what was going on. And so Peter begins to preach. That's where we picked up from. The people believed the message of Jesus Christ. And when his sermon ended, 3,000 people repented and were baptized. These verses tell us what happened with a church with 3,000 new believers. These people immediately devoted themselves to this new community, to being the church. What we see in this Christian community, this church, is the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection pressing into the normal, everyday routines of life. They became a new community through their confession of faith. They were drawn together by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were bound together as the body of Christ. They demonstrate to us what it means to be devoted to the church, what it means to commit as a community of believers to one another. And they show us how to live out the purpose of the church. They show us how to build the kingdom of God. And they do it in three ways. They love God, they love people, and they make disciples. So let's talk about this. The first way we live out our purpose as the church is to love God, to love God. How does the early church show us how to love God? We love God through worship and prayer. We love God through worship and prayer. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And one way we demonstrate that is through worship. Look at verses 46 through 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. For the early church, worship consisted of praising God and celebrating the Lord's Supper, communion, which we will do later today. They met together in the temple courts. That was their place of worship. We are to worship God together and on our own. The Psalms are all about praising God. They, they implore us to praise the Lord. They say things like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And they say, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. When we worship God, we exalt him. We magnify him in our lives and in the world. And the more we come to know about God, the more we have to worship Right? What, what moves you to worship? Is there a song that sings to your heart, right? Is it amazing grace or reckless love or, or what a wonderful name it is? Is it in your quiet time with God? Is it when you think about God and, and how much he has done in your life? So you guys know I grew up in a black Baptist church. 
And one of the things that we say all the time that I thought was so cliche, but I get it now, is when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank you for saving me. And the older I get, the more I realize how much God has done for me. And it causes me to worship. Do you ever think about all that God has done for you? And does that lead you into worship? As the church, we are to worship. Whether you're in service or on your own, we are to lead lives as worship. That's how we love God. But we also love God through prayer. The believers devoted themselves to prayer. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Do you know how I know? Because anytime someone is in crisis, whether they are a believer or not, what do they do? They ask you for prayer. Right? Even unbelievers know how powerful prayer is. There is power in connecting with God and and crying out to him on your behalf or on behalf of someone else. And those first believers, they didn't just come to God in crisis. They lived lives of prayer. The Bible says that they were devoted to prayer. So let me ask you, and you don't have to say it out loud, just say it to yourself. On a scale of one to 10, how devoted are you to prayer? Our power and our strength come through prayer. And God specifically invites the church, his people, to be a part of his power at work in the world. Second Chronicles 7.14 says it this way, If my people, who are called by my name, should humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. God invites the church to pray to heal the land. When the disciples couldn't cast out a demon from a young boy and they asked Jesus why they couldn't do it, and Jesus did do it, they, but they said, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, this kind only comes out through prayer. Amen. And when Peter was put in jail and, and the, the, the church is praying earnestly for him, what happens is that an angel appears and miraculously escorts Peter safely out of jail. There is so much power in prayer, and especially when the church prays. As the church, as the people of God, we should be known as people of prayer. This is where our power comes from. So we live out our purpose to love God when we worship and when we pray. The next, the purpose of the church is to love people. To love people. We practice loving people when we grow to love people through fellowship and service. Jesus called a people. He called a community. He created a community, and we are family in him. We are a community through Christ because what he has done, and in Christ, we are united in his body. The early church devoted themselves to fellowship. Look at verses 42 through 47, and I want you to note in your mind how many times you hear the word together. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need, to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being blessed. How many times did we hear the word together? Three. Three times in this short little passage. The word here for fellowship is kononia. It means a close relationship. For the early church, their close relationships were developed at their homes. And in their homes, they would eat a meal together. They would break bread together. There was openness and they were sharing as they did life together. They were together. They ate together. They met together. They were in fellowship together. We work out our faith and fellowship with one another together. You cannot be a lone Christian. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And this is where we are sharpened. We learn how to love one another, how to have patience, how to care for one another, how to encourage one another. It's in fellowship that you are surrounded by people who will support you and speak life to you. Right? We just saw it demonstrated here. The reminder that you are a child of God, that comes when we are in fellowship together. In the church is where singles do not have to live life alone. Couples learn from one another. When our more seasoned saints can be surrogate grandparents and parents to younger people. This is why we have small groups for fellowship and to practice loving people. Metro offers this opportunity for you to live out your purpose as the church. And it's amazing what God does in these groups. This past semester was a little hard for me. I led a small group and it was a little hard for me because it was virtual and it was like a shortened um, uh, season. And so it was felt like a little hard to connect with people. But the group I led, it was wonderful. The people were amazing. And it was a mix of newlyweds and parents and couples that had been married for years and singles. And only a few people knew each other in the group. And every week was great, but there was one week midway through the semester when things really began to shift, where I really felt like things kind of opened up a little bit. And there was a notable change in our conversation. One woman shared about her struggle to um, pursue the career she wanted. And another talked about her singleness. And the newlyweds talked about how difficult it was uh, going back and forth between their um, different families for Thanksgiving and Christmas that first year. And the most amazing thing happened. Although people had been originally apprehensive about a group that was sort of mixed, where you had people from different ages and different life stages, what we actually found out is that it was perfect. Couples began encouraging the singles telling their stories. And then it turned out that more than one person in our group was actually in the profession that this other woman was pursuing. People began to encourage one another. They were sharing their lives and offering support to one another. That's the beauty of fellowship. Fellowship is showing up for the weddings and the divorces, the births and the deaths and all of life in between. And when people say they are looking for community, what they're saying is they're looking for someone who will care about them, someone who will notice them, someone who will love them. Well, we are the church. 
It's us. Who in this fellowship are you caring for? Don't wait on others to be the church. You be the church. Create space in your life for other people to enter in. You send out the invitation. You text somebody or call someone. You invite someone to lunch after service. You be the church. We love people in fellowship. But we also live out our purpose to love people through service. We serve. Verses 44 through 45 say, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This first group of believers would sell their property and anything they had to help those in their congregation, in their community, excuse me, who had a need. This was a community of believers that was so devoted to one another that they were willing to share anything they had so that no one would go without. This this takes place repeatedly in the book of Acts. They demonstrated their care and their love for one another through service. They met the needs of one another. God has given us, the church, this incredible opportunity to serve one another. And the early church, they took advantage of that opportunity, and so can we. When someone has a baby, when someone is sick, when someone has a death in the family, make them a meal, send them a meal. Pick up the phone and call or text someone. Ask them how you can help. When you feel a little bit more comfortable with COVID, accompany someone to a doctor's appointment or go with them to court or to an important appointment. Go with someone, show up in their lives, visit them in the hospital or at home, or maybe just to hang out. But service is not just possessions or for people in distress. The essence of serving is using your gifts to glorify God. God has given each one of you gifts. How are you using them to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ and to glorify God? The members of the worship team could easily sit in the congregation every Sunday. They could easily stay at home. But they realize that their gifts came from God. And as good stewards of those gifts, they are intended to be used by God for his glory. Are you a natural teacher? Are you an accountant? Maybe you're a tech guru. Maybe you're a good administrator. Do you have the the gift of hospitality or of cooking? Has God given you a flexible schedule? What has God given you? One of the most talented and humble couples here at Metro is Arvin and Diane Thapper. They are former owners of a shop in Delhi here at Inglewood. Arvin is a chef, Diane is a baker. They are retired, but you wouldn't know it. And, And the reason you don't know it is because they're always at work. They're always at work. During the the early parts of the uh, pandemic when we had our food pantry, they were there serving with us. They showed us how to buy in bulk and they did a lot of the shopping alongside of many of you. Since the beginning, they have been volunteering every Tuesday with another organization. And they have cooked hundreds, if not thousands of meals for residents of Inglewood. They are using their gifts for the glory of God and in the service of other people. They are being the church. How can you be the church? 
We live out the purpose of the church by loving people, and that looks like fellowship and service. So we live out the purpose of the church to build the kingdom of God by loving God, loving people, and finally making disciples. The church has to make disciples. Turn with me to verses 22 through 24 and then 36 through 41. Fellow Israelites, this is Peter speaking. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. This God, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Peter shows us how to make disciples. We make disciples by telling them about Jesus, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection, about what he is still doing in the world today and what he is doing in our lives. He tells them that Jesus was sent by God and he did signs and wonders while he was alive. He was killed, but God raised him from the dead. Peter proclaims that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, and he tells them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. He shares the gospel, and 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Now, you may not get 3,000 people to say yes to Jesus, but the Bible says that God rejoices even over one. So when you tell your story of Jesus— Combined, when you tell the story of Jesus, excuse me, combined with your story with Jesus, something powerful takes place. And what a blessing, what a privilege it is for you to be a part of someone else's salvation. God calls us to make disciples. But discipleship doesn't stop when you say yes to Christ. Discipleship continues in your journey with Jesus, and we see it in the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. As people began to enter into the community of Christ, their discipleship deepened. They became students of their faith. You are to be students of your faith. This is a non-negotiable. This is how we get to know God. And this is also another way why, how we show that we love God. A faith that is not understood has a poor foundation. It's shaky. How deep is your faith? Are you excited to get to know more about God? Are you curious about the word of God? The Bible says to study, to show thyself approved to God. 
a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So often our faith is shaken, and it's because we don't know God's word. We don't know God's truth. We, we listen to the lies and we live into them simply because we just don't know better. But God has given us his word to empower us. You, don't, you won't know everything. You can't know everything. But you can learn a lot if you read your Bible. You can learn a lot when you study the word of God in groups like how we have or on your own. And it's okay to wrestle with the Bible. It's okay to question your faith or to question God's word. You should. That's how you become stronger in your faith. You've got to know what you believe. So can I, can I suggest that you make it your goal to read and study the word of God more this year? You don't have to try and read the whole Bible in a year. One summer I tried to do like the Bible in 90 days. I don't suggest that. <laughs> But how about a chapter a day, a verse a day? If you have a hard time picking up the Bible, look for an app. There's the Pray As You Go app. There's the Bible Project. And there is YouVersion. I highly recommend YouVersion, by the way. But commit yourself to doing more than you did last year. As the church, we are to be devoted to learning God's word. We are to make disciples and to deepen our faith as disciples. So the purpose of the church can be summarized, to love God, love people, and to make disciples. And this is all held together by commitment, by their devotion. The early church devoted themselves to building the kingdom of God by loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now, for some of you, this is anticlimactic. This is disappointing. You want more. You want the church to be something else. Have you ever prayed for something and the response you got isn't the response you wanted? You might feel that way about church. The community of believers may not be what you want it to be. You didn't find your best friend here. Maybe you don't like the music. Or maybe things are not the way that you would like them to be. You may find it hard to find community. But let me tell you that what God provides is actually all you need. We ask the question about the purpose of the church because we think it's irrelevant. Or we think it's not the way we want it to be. We've become consumers of everything. And we believe that we can be consumers even in the church, even in the community of believers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German minister and theologian. He was martyred for standing up against the Nazis. And he has this book called Life Together. And he warns in this book, he says, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. In short, he says, our preferences and our expectations actually keep us from having the one thing that we say that we need, which is true, authentic community. And I understand. I understand. 
You might be thinking, I wish they did this, or I wish they did that, or my old church used to do dot, 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 right? I understand, but God called you here for a reason. Discover why. When I first came to Metro, I struggled. There are times when I still struggle. The music, the culture, the way things are done was different from me. I, I joke with the worship team all the time, why are there so many lyrics in contemporary Christian music? <laughs> Gospel has very few lyrics, we sing it all the time, and the music changes, right? That's what we do. When I first came to Metro, Peter said, Pastor Peter said, they may not say amen. And I'm like, are they listening? <laughs> but I know that you are. I know that you are. I was used to Bible study classes, right? Small groups were new to me when I came to Metro. But those are preferences. Do the people at Metro love God? Yes. Do they love people? Yes. Are we making disciples? Yes. That's what's important. And I found something else that although my preferences are not always met, my needs always are. I, I told Pastor Peter that I think one of the reasons that God sent me to Metro was for emotionally healthy spirituality and for soul care. And, and these, are the, these are some of the resources that Metro provides to you to help you heal from some of the trauma that you've been through in your life so you could be a better Christian and a better person. I didn't know I needed that when I came here. But once I got here, it was exactly what I needed. Can you gracefully and with gratitude accept the community of believers around you? Can you show up? as an act of faith in the community and watch God work, trusting that he may not give you what you want in the package that you want it in, but he'll give you what you need. I know that some of you struggle to find community, but can you commit to showing up and not sitting on the sidelines, but really showing up and, and commit to loving God loving people, and making disciples with this community of believers. So back to the burning question that so many people have. Can I be a good Christian and not go to church? Right? Right? And what they're actually asking is, do I have to come in the building? Right? That's really what they're asking. And so let me flip that question on you really quickly. Why don't you want to be around a group of believers? Why don't you want to be in fellowship with other believers? Now, I know in the age of COVID, there are deep fears that people have for their own safety and for the safety of others. And I recognize that and I understand that. But there are some others. And I want to be, let's be a little honest. It's Sunday morning. Let's be honest. Has COVID made you lazy? Have you gotten comfortable watching church in your PJs? while eating brunch. I want you to really think about it. And let me offer you a personal invitation to return. No judgment, no shame, no explanation needed. Come back. We miss you.
for years, I wanted to get the prison um, pen pal ministry off the ground, and the timing never seemed right. But then when the pandemic hit, it was actually kind of perfect. And we had wonderful people set, um, step up in leadership, Christine Kang and, and Karen King Choi and Sharon Kua Lee. And it has been a blessing to our brothers at East Jersey State Prison because they, were able to get, because they weren't able to gather and worship at all. They just started back a few months ago, and they're only allowed to have 25 people at a time in worship. They yearned for Christian fellowship because they understand that they are surrounded by darkness. They yearn to gather again, to worship together again, to encourage one another in person, to experience the movement of God that takes place when the people of God come together on one accord. Our brothers at East Jersey understand that coming together is a manifestation of God's grace. And what if we thought that way too? What if we didn't see gathering together as a burden, but actually as a privilege? What if it wasn't something to be avoided, but a grace of God to be received? What if we gathered with other believers so that the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit in me could come together on one accord? And what if we came not expecting to find God, but we brought him with us? And when we got here, we came with expectation to see God do a mighty work in his place. Can we do this without being in a church building? Sure, you can. This is what we were trying to do during the pandemic, to build a virtual community online so that people could stay committed, connected, excuse me. I prefer to be in person. I prefer to see you in the flesh, to look you in the eyes and to, to hear your heart without the filter or the screen between us. I want to I wanna laugh with you and cry with you and, and be with you in person. But maybe you're not ready for that. But let me ask the question. Are you being the church where you are? Are you gathering even in the virtual world with other believers? Are you doing life with other believers in phone calls and small groups and Zoom? Are you learning and growing? Are you worshiping? And I mean, really worshiping God where you are. Are you praying? Are you making disciples? Are you serving? Are you being the church wherever you are? That's the charge of the Christian. That's the charge of the church, to be the church wherever you are. Now, many of you know that I lost my mother 21 years ago now. And it was hard, and it remains hard. But God has done a miraculous thing. He has brought women in my life through the community of believers who have mothered me in different phases of my life. And I couldn't be more grateful for that. I, we were talking about this in sermon practice, and I wanted to just tell about one person, and it seemed impossible. It actually seemed unfair to choose one. There's Wilhelmina Jackson and Eunice Walker and Linda Swanson and Deborah Spencer and Charity Gall. These are women who have prayed for me, encouraged me, told me how godly proud they are of me. They have corrected me and pushed me to be a better woman and a better Christian. They have cooked for me 
They have loved me and they have let me cry on their shoulders. We worship together, we pray, we fellowship, we serve together, we eat together, we share with one another. And for one of these beautiful women, I have the honor and privilege of funeralizing her daughter because we do life together. That's the blessing that God has for you in community, to fill your needs. God didn't do this for me because I'm so special. He did it because I showed up in the Christian community. He did it because I made myself available. And these women were committed to building the kingdom of God. They love God, they love people, and they made me a better disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when we become the church. We become a blessing to others and we have the opportunity to be blessed. The purpose of the church has not changed. It's been the same for 2,000 years. To love God, love people, and make disciples. And yet the blessing of the church never gets old. As long as there are Christians, all of you, we have the opportunity to experience the blessing of the church each and every day. Will you commit to being the church? to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. Let us pray. God, we thank you. That is because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can be your children. That we have the opportunity to be a part of this community of believers, God. God, we thank you that you have called this thing the church. And we know it's difficult, God. And we know there's so many questions. And we know that times change, Lord. And, and people's uh, relationship with the church may feel awkward or strange. But God, your word does not change. Your purpose does not change. There is still a purpose for your church. We are your children. And you have called us to build your kingdom here on earth. God, you've called us to love you, to love people, and to make disciples. And God, we pray that just as the Holy Spirit was in the fabric of that first community of believers, that it would reside in us as well, oh God. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have a, a weird relationship with church, whether they've been hurt, whether they feel disengaged, whether they feel like it's not quite their thing. God, would you speak to their hearts? Would you encourage them to try again? That we're fallible, God. We're not always perfect. But together, we believe that when we come together as the community of God, we can get all that we need. And more importantly, we can build your kingdom here on earth. Strengthen us now, God, to do the work you've called us to do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.